0: and welcome to the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast. My name is Ryan, and this is the show where I talk to developers, programmers, and coders of all types who are in business for themselves, and I try to figure out how they got to where they are. So if you're a coder who wants to get into business, or if you're already in business and you want to see where to go next, then hopefully this show is of value to you. This is episode five with Jesse Sanders. My guest today is Jesse Sanders. Jesse is the founder and CEO of Breebug Software and an Angular Google developer expert. He regularly speaks around the world on Angular and related web technologies to inform and inspire developers on how to build the next generation of web applications. He regularly teaches workshops on Angular fundamentals, NGRX, and advanced Angular topics. He specializes in architecting systems using Angular for enterprise clients to help them achieve their goals. When not working, he enjoys spending time with his children, biking, skiing and snowboarding, hiking and training for triathlons. Jesse, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much. So it was great to meet you uh, the last time that we saw each other. Uh, I guess the first time we saw each other was at uh, a Google Developer Expert event last fall. And uh, I got to know a little bit about your uh, your company, Rebug. Wondering if you could maybe tell me a little bit more about it, sort of how you got started with it and maybe the origin story of Rebug. Sure, absolutely. So,
1: Brebug was formed back in 2009. Um, I had been a contractor for really the large part of my career, but I'd taken a full-time job for about 18 months and um, was preparing to leave that that full-time job and take a contract and decided, okay, I needed uh, to form a new company. Um, At the time, I was also working on some scheduling software, and I wanted a a name for a a company that didn't really mean anything to anybody else, but it actually meant something to me. And so uh, the, the name of the company actually comes from my two daughters.
0: Okay. So I was uh, wondering about that, actually. I, I, and I think I had heard something to that effect, but I wasn't too sure about the the actual story. So, sorry, go on. Yeah. So, it has nothing to do with cheese. Everybody is
1: <laughs> 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 like, so you have cheese and bugs. I, I, I don't think I like this. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, what it, where it comes from is I have a daughter named Briella. Um, that's where the Brie part comes from. And I have another daughter named Iris. And uh, her nickname as a, as a toddler was Bug.
0: Oh, awesome. That's cool.
1: Looking for a name for the company. I wanted, again, something unique. It's something that didn't mean anything to anybody else, but would mean the world uh, to me. That's awesome. And so, yeah, formed it in uh, 2009. For the large part, it was just myself for the first uh, few years. Um, we hired our first employee in 2012. And then in um, we stayed that way till about 2014. And I think in 2014, we hired seven more developers. And, and then we've been uh, growing in, uh, uh, you know, pretty much since then
0: very cool and one thing that i've been curious about um i mean i understand that you you love angular you've been using angular uh, for a long time why is it that you are focused uh, on angular specifically at brebug uh, as opposed to maybe using angular as one technology and then maybe react as another or or maybe that is the case that you're diving into other technologies i'm not too sure but i i I sense a very big focus on angular wondering if you can maybe speak to why angular is your your core focus
1: well, You're definitely sensing correctly. It is um, it is our primary focus. Um, I actually came up through the Microsoft stack, so I have a lot of experience around. I'll date myself here a little bit, but I, I started out in like VB4. Oh, wow. Um, and working myself up through VB.net and then eventually into C Sharp. Um, and then really started noticing a change into JavaScript, um, gosh, probably around 2010 um, I was working with a, a client uh, for quite a while there. and and honestly, I'd, I'd had some dealings with JavaScript prior. and and the the, the funny thing about it was is that I uh, I' readily admit that I I'd mentioned to somebody one day' I was like, you know what? if you really want to mess up your project, all you need to do is bring in JavaScript. So this was prior to the days of jQuery even. and so there was a lot of really manual and and tedious ways of having to check you know for what type of browser I have and what does it support to be able to figure out how to do. You know, even just simple animations or flipping, you know, colors and changing things. And so um, when when I saw Angular come along right around 2013, I just finished up an Ember project and really enjoyed that. Um, and I'd, I'd done a lot of jQuery UI widget factory patterns, um, developing components. That's really like the precursor to any sort of client-side MVC. But when I saw Angular and what we could do with, and this time it's AngularJS, right? So it's 2013. And when we saw what we could do with that, it was just like, wow, this is amazing. Now I have something that's very testable, the dependency injection model. um, You know, everything that it had to offer at the time was just light years ahead of everything else. So why have we not uh, moved towards React and and maybe some other technologies? Well, um, we do some other technologies to support clients. So we might do some PHP or Ruby, Scala. Uh, C-sharp or, or Java um, along with, you know, Node and and stuff like that, but our primary focus is around Angular. Um, and and the reason, I think, for that is that, one, um, we, we tend to see Angular more uh, in the enterprise clients, so really large-scale clients. And this isn't always the case. This is rather just a generalization, but from our experience and the clients that we talk to, most of them are using, um, you know, for large, let's say, Fortune 10,000 companies, um, they're using um, Angular because they like that it's strongly opinionated. They like the fact that it uses TypeScript, and that, you uh, know, long term, uh, you know, with having Google behind it, and and Google having so many applications built into a monorepo with it, that they they feel like it's it's a, a viable long term solution. And so that's why we've latched onto it. Um, I think. You know, why we, haven't we done some React? We, we actually have done some React on, from project to project, but it's not our primary focus. And I think that's largely because it's really easy to get really spread out then and, and know a lot about, you know, every little piece. And we could be doing Angular and Vue and uh, Elm and, and uh, React. And, you know, it's just there, there's so many different frameworks out there, but never be an expert at any one of them and I think yeah. that's why we stick to our guns.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> that's that's a really good point. That's um, you know, something that I'm experiencing right now just as a a solo developer, a solo consultant developer is I've got clients that I serve mostly in Angular or traditionally that's how it's been. Um, but more and more of an appetite for React these days. And so I find myself yeah. um, you know, I I'm more or less getting into react, uh, sort of for the first time now and, and, uh, developing applications with it and I'm serving some clients with it. Um, but I, I'm finding that that is a little bit true you know there's a little bit of a thin spread or what seems to be starting as a thin spread between the two and I'm, I'm starting to like almost um forget certain patterns within each of the frameworks that maybe i should be using just because i'm you know switching back and forth so I certainly see the benefit in the uh, the strong focus on angular and I'm, I'm curious about uh maybe a little bit more of your opinion on this this idea that angular is more favored by enterprise companies um you know it, i guess you know there, there's some reasons like you mentioned for that right highly opinionated TypeScript, maybe feels familiar, familiar to something like C sharp or something like that. Um, anything else you sense from enterprise companies that you've been consulting with uh, as to why, um, why Angular is such a, a favored choice amongst the enterprise companies you're serving anyway?
1: Um, you know, I, I, recently wrote an article on this, getting some feedback from the Google, um, community as well as uh, from our clients and and the the, the strongly opinion, opinionated is a, is a big piece of it so instead of having a wild west of hey our developers are going to select what router you know what, what sort of state management and all these just various pieces um that and that all get bundled together to then you know make a react project and, and by the way let's let's just like to be very clear is that um i I'm not sure it really matters what tool that you select. I mean, you can create an amazing application with really any one of the, the, the top uh, five or six uh, you know, frameworks out there. Um, I think a lot of our clients, you know, they like the strongly opinionated part. They want it so it's like, hey, no, here's how you do it. Here's the router. Here's how you, know, you place it together. And it makes it easier for them to then be able to bring on new developers that know Angular and not have to figure out all the little pieces to the puzzle you know, of, of how this one has been engineered. Um, I think the, um, the ecosystem, you know, the tooling, um, everything that's out there for Angular right now is, is another really big, you know, selling point uh, up for it. Um, you know, the TypeScript part, yeah, I mean, that's, that's huge, not only just for the, the familiarity from, you know, let's say C Sharp or Java for those developers, but also I think the bigger part is when we go to do a refactor. We go to do a refactor and we're trying to remember what was the intention, you know, six months ago. And I always laugh, right. at the, you know, when we talk about this, cause I'm looking at some code going like, what idiot did, oh, that, <laughs> <peak>. whoops. <laughs> I've um, had
0: that thought know. before myself. Yeah.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, we're trying to remember what was the intention? What was, what was the reason behind this? And when we go to refactor that six months or a year or two years later, it's really tough to understand that if we don't have, you know, strongly typed. And, uh, you know, initially I was a little bit opposed to to TypeScript. I was like, no, Hey, I'm an excellent JavaScript developer. I don't need you to tell me how to write JavaScript. Uh, but the more I saw it with enterprise clients and being able to refactor code and and be able to detect bugs in advance versus having to wait till runtime to, to catch, you know, uh, issues that are coming up, it just made such a massive difference. Um, you know, and, and, and how we wrote code and, and the quality of code and being able to do those refactors. So I think those are all, um, you know, really big reasons. And I think also people like the idea that Google's behind this, they've got so many applications built on it. Um, and you know, before they make any sort of release, they've already tested against over 600 applications in their monorepo to make sure that it's not breaking anything. It's not causing any new problems. And I think that's, you know, from a, uh, A large company's perspective is that um, um, that's what they're worried about. They're worried about the technology. All of a sudden, just the the rug gets pulled out from underneath them and everything changes. and, And now they've got a code base that they can no longer, you know, support.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I've heard very similar, um, you know, arguments or statements from from the clients that I serve who are particular to Angular. Um, so, I, you know, I think that that definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, wondering if we could maybe uh, shift back to uh, your origin, uh, starting a consultancy and remind me again, how long was it between when you started on your own and when you hired uh, your first employees? Gosh, I was
1: about three, almost three years, just shy of three years really, to, to understand kind of how everything started, it uh, really came down to, I think it was like 13 years old, right? And I had some neighbors that had a uh, TRS-80 color computer okay. that their parents had bought. And I love to tell the story because this is really how I got inspired. Just, there was this game called Dungeons of Daggerath. Okay. If you've actually read the book, um, oh, uh, trying to, oh, well, there was a theme for last year at uh, NG Conf. I'm, I'm spacing it out here for a second. Um, not sure. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll remember here in a minute. But anyway, cool. it's actually one of the challenges in, in that book. And um, it's a great game. It's uh, one of the first 3D animated uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons types of games. And, and I wanted it so bad that I wanted it bought my own computer because it's not one of those games you could play in a half hour. It was one right. of those games you'd play over a couple of days. Take a very long time and you have to save it off to an old cassette tape. You remember those, you know, deals, <laughs> Yes. sounds like a screaming fax machine going off. <laughs> and, and, and that got me started in a program because it came with a book on how to program uh, color. You know, uh, I think it was extended color basic. Mm-hmm. And uh, so at 13 years old, trying to, you know, figure out how to how to program this thing and um, getting a magazine called Rainbow Magazine, which I type in, you know, furiously all these really long programs to be able to play games. And so learn how to do that. And it kind of fast forward, you know, I sold that computer when I was 18 years old and didn't touch another one until I think I was like 24. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. So it was quite a, quite a little uh, gap in there, but um, yeah, that's kind of like the, the, the backstory to how I got started and very, being very passionate about it as a young kid. And then finally going back and taking a few classes. Uh, college classes until the whole Y2K thing came along and they pretty much were hiring anybody they could find that could spell computer <laughs> and uh, I got my opportunity. So um, so when I formed Breebug, yeah the idea was um, you know, initially just to have a, a uh, company to do some consulting with and also to release a product with. We eventually ended up um, getting rid of the product part and then just focusing primarily on consulting. Um, but really took about that that first three years of just kind of uh, figuring out what direction I wanted to go and was spending a lot of time on this product and then started hiring uh, consultants or employees to come on and help with the consulting practice.
0: Yeah, one thing I'm curious about is what was your... Uh, signal that it was time to start hiring employees in kind of like a full-time consultancy sort of agency fashion. I think this is what I'm hearing from a lot of people is, you know, maybe they're a consultant who's acting on their own. Maybe they're a freelancer and uh, you know, they sort they want to know when is it time to start looking towards uh, something bigger, maybe starting to form kind of an an agency around this initial work they've been doing. Um, What was that changeover for you? Do you remember? yeah actually i'm I'm
1: very clear on what that was. um i I do a lot of uh, personal development classes, always looking at like how do I think and why and 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 whatnot. And I'd gone out and taken a class out in California, come back, and it really just kind of hit me like, what am I doing? You know I'm playing really small. why Why am I not you know like taking this chance and really looking at the market opportunity and saying, hey, um, we, we tried an offshore um, team to help us out with some doing some testing and it was not working. So I came back and I fired those, that, that offshore team and I hired two junior developers to come in and help write tests. And um, so I spent a lot of time teaching with, and working with them and showing them how to, uh, to write tests and, and we we're converting all this stuff over to Angular. And so, um, yeah, I think it was it's just really that self-inspection and taking a look at it and saying, Hey, an opportunity's here. So either I can allow fear to just say, Hey, no, I'm not going to take that chance, or I'm going to go ahead and just step towards it. Um, and, and, and go ahead and and take that risk. And and it turned out beautifully. So more often than not, I think when those opportunities are there, if we would just step into them, um, you know, things just start to happen.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Um, the the risk that you talk about and stepping into taking a chance, is that, was was that risk kind of the risk of hiring some employees and maybe having to lay them off eventually if things didn't work out or, uh, you know, maybe running out of money, et cetera, or, you know, was it, was it something else than that? Was it, uh, was it no, a it was risk Exactly. In, exactly. Was, that. that was it. Okay.
1: Yeah. yeah, exactly that. It was, you know, um, renting an office space, you know, even though it was month to month, um, you know, Doing a uh, work share environment and and hiring two two developers that are now depending on me, you know. In um, and, and addition to the the additional developer, but these two that I the initial ones that I, I brought on um, after hiring my first employee. Um, and when I hired him, I actually had work lined out for him, and and it was it was fairly simple. But with these two uh, and where we started making the change in 2014. It was really about, okay, we're going to have them write tests, but there's no actual income that's associated directly to what, you know, the work that they're doing right at this moment. And so that was the additional, when I say risk, I I guess uh, would be the best way to to frame that is that it was, yeah, this was taking something else on and, and going to the next level.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's obviously worked out well. It seems like the company is doing very well and and growing and and serving some very large clients. Were there any kind of scary moments along the way? Were there any dips or or anything that that had you on edge and maybe uh, took you through an, a bit of an emotional roller coaster, more or less?
1: Yeah, every day. Every day. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. Um, no, I, I think when we think about you know, one, when running a business, there's always, you know, ups and downs and it's it's constantly pivoting and, and inspecting what I'm doing and what is my approach. Um, and I think it's a, the the challenge of constantly uh, reinventing ourselves and finding our, our sweet spot. And the sweet gotcha. spot tends to change a little bit, you know, as technology changes. So I, I just tell everybody, it's like, hey, be prepared to to learn the next thing, to dive into the next thing, because things will change and, and how applications are built or, are, are you know, it's constantly changing and improving. Um, the biggest dip though that we had is probably about, um, gosh, it was about three years ago this time. And we just had a, a client that, um, uh, didn't pay their bill as simple as a way to say it. And, uh, they walked out on about a quarter million dollars and, and stuck us with the, The check. And so uh, when that happened, we had to cut back our our, uh, workforce by about half. Um, So at that time, we were about 26 people. Now, that was also a combination of interns um, and junior developers. And so basically, we had to just make a, a big pivot on what we were doing. Um, but we learned a lot of, of variable, uh, very valuable lessons from that experience. When I look back at it now, it's, it's one of those, uh, benchmarks and defining moments of, okay, Hey, look, maybe we shouldn't put all of our eggs in one basket and we should spread ourselves out, you know, uh, between multiple clients and, and making sure that, uh, if, if one of them walks away or we have, you know, have some sort of dispute, um, that, you know, there's still, um, you know we we can we can move on from that and and still survive so and I think that 's where some people get in trouble is they they try to put everything into one basket and um you know if that doesn 't work then that 's it and and they spin out of control after that.
0: Now, is that diversification uh, step you're talking about, is is that something that is kind of natural at this point just because of the size the company's at? Or is that something you have to be deliberate about uh, still to this day, you know, saying, hey, we've got this opportunity for a huge amount of work, but let's maybe be a bit careful here because we do need to, um, you know, maintain a diversity amongst our client base.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's still something that we think about that I think about every single day. So I might have a client say, hey, I need 10 developers. Um, we have certain uh, we have developers that are available to us that we'll then bring on as contractors versus having everybody be employees. That way, we can expand and contract as necessary. We can meet the the needs of that client, but not necessarily put ourselves in um, with the risk of um, you know having to lay off employees. So it's a lot different to be able to say, okay, Hey, you know, the contract's up or the contract has changed. We're going to go ahead and end this contract is over. And with a contractor, they're like, Oh, Hey, that's the life. I understand. I'm being paid for that risk. Uh, and on the employee side, that that looks much different, right? Uh, that's not a good situation. And, And so I think it's about mitigating that risk. Um, we also then we'll limit the number of developers that we'll make available to a client. Um, at least up front, and then we'll, we may expand, continue to expand that over time. But again, we always want to be conscious of that risk and then how many of those people are employees versus how many are contractors and then making sure that we have the right leadership on each team so we make sure that each client is getting the maximum value.
0: I got it cool very very cool now one thing I'd love to talk about is uh, is hiring um, you know there's a lot of people who are getting you know into this the spot where they, they need more staff and uh, maybe if they' whether it be they're just like getting into an initial kind of space where they need staff or if they need to uh, bring on more people to an existing um, staff base I'm, I'm wondering what your approach is uh, to hiring how you think about it maybe um, you know, even even methods, systems you've got for hiring, and uh, maybe maybe kind of your philosophy around it, if you will.
1: Sure, we're we're actually doing a lot of work around that right now. So there's a lot of thought around how do we hire and how do we make sure that we we get the best people. Um, recently, been working. Um, recently, read a book and and uh, went to a uh, training class. Oh, a couple months ago, on a book called Scaling Up. Uh, I believe the okay. authors burn uh, Harnish. Scalier, uh, I'll put
0: that in the show notes.
1: Yeah, really great book, especially if you're, you're looking to start up your business and you're wondering like, hey, what do, what do I need to focus on? And so they talk about really four basic areas. One uh, being people, then execution or strategy, execution and cash. So they, they break it down to four basic areas. And I do some moderating and coaching with a um, accelerator group um, here locally in town, and they actually teach from this book. This is their uh, Bible, if you will, for helping accelerators get to that, uh, you know, helping these companies in the accelerator get to that next level. Um, and so around the hiring piece, I, I went to this class, uh, I guess it was about a month ago. And one of the things that I think most companies really struggle with is how do I find the right people? You know, and a lot of times I think we we have a need and we put out a resume, you know, or not a resume, we put out a job post and we get a bunch of resumes and we're just looking for the person that has a skill set that best matches what we're looking for. And that's great. But what this, what this book starts to talk about um, is core values and in productivity. And, and that if you, if you look at two axes, one with uh, from zero to 10 on the, uh, core values and how they line up with that versus zero to 10 on the productivity, um, we basically end up with four quadrants, right? And really what we want to be is in the, the, the top right quadrant where we have really high uh, adoption of our core values as well as really high productivity. Those are our A players or our stars. And, and those are the ones that we, we hope we're finding. But a lot of times what happens is we just focus only on the productivity part. Um, and, and that's, I, I've been guilty of that myself is, is just looking at the productivity and who do I think can do the best job. But we've actually started doing a lot to focus on what, um, <clears throat> how does this person compare to our core values and making sure that um, we have good alignment there. And we may in certain positions actually be willing to say, I'll go ahead and take this person because they match our core values really great, even though that they're a little weaker in the productivity than what we're hoping for. So I might, to give you an example, I might have a senior position role that I need to fill for a developer, but I might be willing to take on a mid-level developer into that position as long as they match our core values. Super, you know, they're super high in the core values because we can teach the other things that they need. I cannot teach you how to be uh, us and our core values. And so the thing that, that really jumped out at me is that, um, the, the people down in the bottom right quadrant is, th- those are the ones that are the toughest because they're super productive, but they don't match core values at all. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that get people to leave.
0: Right. They're the ones
1: that drag down the company, spiral it out of control and, and make it just miserable for everybody else. And so sometimes that, that, that quadrant's labeled the terrorist group. Okay. You know, highly, highly productive, but they are killing your company and they'll make right. your stars leave.
0: Gotcha. Because
1: the stars won't put up with it. And so I'm sitting in this class. I'm like, hey, that's great. But I never figure out what, you know, how they match our core values until they've been with us for three months. Mm. Right? So how am I supposed to actually measure this? And what they talked about is, um, and this book is really great for, for explaining this. And um, you can also get coaches to kind of help you guide, guide you through this process. But what they talk about is ask questions that are based on your core values.
0: Mm-hmm. And just uh oh. if I could jump in here, <clears throat> one thing that might be enlightening as we develop this conversation is what are some of the core values? And maybe you can dive in, uh, in a bit, but what are, what are just some of those core values that you've got at Rebug?
1: Sure. Um, and we're working on refining our core values. We did this exercise about two years ago. Um, and we chose at that time to go with single word, uh, core values. And, and okay. really what we're starting to see is that we, we really want it to be small phrase, uh, core hmm. values. Uh, we picked integrity as being a big one. Um, doing what we say what we're going to do and doing the, always doing the right thing, even when no one else is watching. Um, quality, you know, um, always following the standards, the best practices, making sure that whatever we deliver is, is top notch and that we're never, never willing to cut the corners. Um, another one for us is, um, learning, always fostering a, an environment of learning, not only for ourselves, but for our clients, um, that we're always willing to teach everything that we know to help make everyone else around us better uh, with this concept that when, when tide rises, it raises all boats. Um, and so when we start to ask questions for interviews, we we want to talk about, so tell me about a time that you were in a project when things went horribly bad, how did you handle it? You know? Um, and we may ask that same type of question six different ways. Um, and we'll spend a lot of time, especially as we, once we find, um, a person that's, uh, let's say we find five candidates that we're like, hey, these, these five candidates all have really good skills. I think any one of them could come in and do the job. Great, now we're gonna focus on core values. And so we're gonna ask these same questions to each candidate. We'll bring them in for a couple of hours, uh, somewhere between the range of two to four hours, and we're just gonna drill them on core values and making sure um, that they actually fit those core values. So we recently put this to the test the other day for hiring um, a new marketing coordinator. And the results were absolutely phenomenal. So we we had several candidates that we thought had really good skills that could really easily do the job. But what we really focused um, our efforts around then was all about the core values and in making sure how those answers looked and not just getting somebody to to be the 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 yes man or the yes woman and just saying, telling us what we want to hear. And that's why we asked the questions in so many different ways trying to find out what really drives this person, what what motivates them, making sure that they are going to be an amazing fit for what we want and what our values are.
0: And I'm curious, are there any patterns you see that come up as answers when you ask these core value questions um, that tells you or works to tell you, um, yes, this person is aligning with what, you know, our core values are? Are there any kind of I don't know are there any answers that you hear quite often or that you, you that repeat uh, amongst candidates
1: it's um what we're looking for is just like outright honesty, okay and I screwed things up
0: yep ownership
1: went horrible. yeah absolute ownership you know this is how things went, yeah, I would have done this differently versus people that just aren't quite as revealing they're not mm-hmm. willing to to own it they're not willing to. Um, really express what's going on. And they're concerned that, well, how's this person going to judge me if I actually be honest with them? That's not a real good match for us. We want people to, to be able to own it up because we all make mistakes. Yep. Every single one of us, every single day, we're, we're going we're gonna to make a mistake. It, it's going to happen. But I think the difference there is how do we own it? And are we willing to accept it and go, hey, I'm learning from this. Um, I'm, I'm going to get better. And so that's what we look for. Um, so there's not really like a, this is what, you know, we hear in particular, like, um, and this is, this process is new to us. Um, like I say, we've done a really great job in, in terms of being able to skill assess and know like, yeah, we know exactly what this person, you know, can and cannot do. But you know, that, that, that next gem is then going, okay, but how do they match with those values? Right. Um, and, and so it's all
0: very new to us as well, but we're really enjoying the experience very cool. Well that sounds like it's working uh working wonders. I'm excited to hear how it's uh, how it goes in the long run and uh you know I think that's it's certainly something that seems to be um, more and more a focus these days uh, amongst startups, amongst uh, consultancies, is focusing on. Uh, well, well, often what I see in startups anyway is focusing on culture, right? And I think you start to develop a culture based on some core values, um, so they they kind of work together. Um, and and maybe you can speak to that too. Like, d- would you say that you know the the core values that you have put in place? Are what sort of start to build up the culture across the company, or or does that work in some different way, maybe?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I don't. I, I think historically we haven't talked about our core values as much as we should. Right. When I hear other people talk about core values, um, and and what level it should be at, it should be to the point where it's uh everyone's almost sick of hearing about the core values um, right. that's like one level and then the next level is when the actual employee comes and says hey you management you're not following the core value <sighs> we need to do it like this um because now they're now that they own it they own those mm-hmm. core values and and they're enforcing those core values so you know for us it's you know we, l- l- give you an example take a step back um we recently had a project that um uh, we underestimated the the level of effort on, and uh, it 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 was a tough project. And there was some talk about, well, we should just you know cut some corners, or we should you know back off of this. And and those core values of what you know always guide us. It's like, no, gentlemen, you know uh, we're we're not changing the course mm-hmm. here. Um, it, this may not be a profitable project for us, or this may not be a um, the most enjoyable project, but we're going to go ahead and complete it as we said we would.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We're we're not cutting corners. We're going to produce amazing code, and and uh, follow through with this. And that guiding principle, once we once uh, everybody understood, like, hey, this is why we're doing this because mm-hmm. this is what we believe in. This is what we're built on. This is what we said we're about. And um, to the point where you know what I what I want is that the next step with this is that they would actually recognize it and go like, hey, no, no like they have so much ownership with it that they mm-hmm. say, yep, I know this isn't, you know, ideal, but we're going to follow through, we're going to do this and, and we're going to, you know, maintain that quality and, um, you know, follow those core values.
0: Gotcha. Oh, that's really cool. That's very admirable. I, I, I love that sticking to, you know, what you said you were going to do, cause it's the right thing to do. You know, that's one, one quote I've, I heard somewhere recently is that, um, doing the right thing is always the right thing, regardless of the circumstances. So that's great. Um, I'd love to chat a bit about. Uh, you mentioned that early on there was—I uh, didn't uh, catch too many of the details—but early on there was there was a product involved with the company that you eventually sidelined, um, and you know, one thing I'm curious about, you, you've developed a, a very, um, uh, a, a very high performing team. Um, has there been thought into as to going into a product again, or maybe why, why focus on consulting and being, being, a, an agency rather than a product company? What's, uh, what's your thought about that? Funny. You should ask that. <laughs>
1: okay. uh, um, it, it's when, when developing a product, um, at, at the time that, that we were doing the products, we, we took no funding. We were just bootstrapping off the uh, consulting dollars and um, found some potential flaws in it and and uh, in in the model that we were looking at. And, and at that time, we decided we're going to go ahead and set that product aside. Um, no, we're not reviving that product. But uh, we actually have a new product that we are actively working on that we're very okay. excited about. It started um, a week ago today. Very and cool. Um, we are, <clears throat> we're actually forming another company, um, with some other partners and, and players to, uh, build this application. Can't speak too much, but it's around the transportation industry and it's got some really, really cool stuff that I, I think is going to, um, really change the market in, in how we think about transportation. Okay. And, and so I, product has been on my mind for a while that consulting's great, and and we love you know the best thing about consulting is is that we we get a new set of challenges like every three to six months, mm-hmm. and it's uh, new things that we've never seen before, different ways of you know technology being applied, uh, different uh, business domains, business knowledge that that's okay. How do we solve this unique challenge? And I think that's the fun part of being a consultant and doing this type of work. Yeah. Um, but also on the product side, you know, having a product um, can also mean a little bit more stability, um, less ups and downs and, and ebb and flow and, and more of, hey, here's a consistent thing that we need to keep working on and, right. and uh, you know, addressing bugs and, and, and being there long term with it. A lot of times when we're dealing with uh, the consulting side, we're coming in um, usually, I mean, it's one of two situations. Either it's Greenfield and we're just, we're helping them to increase their velocity and, and, and get this project done, or it's brownfield and it's a problem, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're there to, to, to get it to a, you know, from point A to point B. And when we, when we achieve point B, usually then our clients take it over. Mm, okay. And so we're, we're not typically there uh, super long term. Right. But uh, that, that varies from client to client and what their resources look like and, and what their model, you know, uh, might look like. But uh, in a product scenario, now this is something that we're going we're gonna to be supporting, you know, long term and we're always going to be a part of and we're going to be addressing bugs and adding new features and, you know, um, yeah, it's it's exciting. So I, I think everybody's got to kind of figure out what is their niche
0: mm-hmm.
1: and how, how do they want to start? You know, um, product is a, a bit more challenging if you're not willing to go out and, and you know, uh, raise capital and, and go through, you know, uh, that process, uh, where then consulting makes a lot of sense where it's okay. We have these people, they need our help and we can go ahead and, and start, um, doing something immediately today. Yep.
0: Got so. it. <clears throat> That's great. Um, one thing that I was curious about, too, is if, if you if it's a situation where somebody is maybe wanting to develop, like build up their uh, consultancy, build up into an agency. Do you have any kind of recommendations, any tips, strategies uh, as to how they might start going for those higher profile clients? Maybe if they want to especially get into the enterprise space that you're in, um, any tips or strategies that that have been useful for you?
1: Well, I was hoping you were going to pass those on to me. Uh, (laughs) um gosh it's it's always a challenge um it doesn't honestly it doesn't really even matter whether it's a small uh mom and pop shop all the way up to a fortune 100 company they all have unique challenges and how do we get in there and show them the value of what we're doing and what we can you know the difference that we can make um for me i think um the, the big differentiator for us is community involvement. So we do a lot of public speaking. We do speaking at conferences. We write blogs. We, uh, gosh, we've been running the Rocky Mountain Angular uh, meetup here now for about three and a half years and recording every single one of those sessions. Okay. And making those all available, uh, you know, through a YouTube channel. Um, so, you know, to me it's about getting out there, making a difference, um, contributing, um, it might look like contributing onto the Angular core team, or maybe you know whatever whatever your platform is, whether that be for React, Vue, Elm, Ember, you know, being involved in that community, and and letting your expertise uh, shine. So it's a long process in in terms of getting out there, but if you're in this for the long run and 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 the long haul, and and, and really creating an amazing consultancy, then I think that's a a big part of it is what are we contributing? You know, it might be, Hey, we've got our own open source projects that we're, we're actively working on. So like with Brebug, we've got, uh, we do a lot of schematics. We do stuff for NGRX, Cypress, Jest, things to make um, our developers lives easier so that we can quickly ramp up and, and, you know, work on our projects. Um, and it's stuff that helps, you know, save us time. And then we donate that out to the community and and make that available so that people can take advantage of that. But, you know, uh, I think you kind of cast a, a pretty broad net by, by getting involved in the community, making a difference, being, uh, you know, an expert there. Um, one, one other thing we do is we offer architecture reviews. Um, if you, if you want to just do something for a couple of hours, we just do it pro bono. We'll come out, uh, we'll sit down with you, take a look at what you're doing. I think it's up to four hours we'll spend with you. Um, and then we'll give you an assessment. Um, otherwise if you want something more in depth and you want a, um, you actually want it all written out and Hey, here's, you know, what we'd be doing, then we just have an hourly rate for that and we'll come out for a couple of days and, and be able to do, do that for you. That's a really great way to, to get out in the community, meet people, find out what they're doing and, and offer help to them. Um, you know, uh, albeit sometimes free just, uh, uh, to, to form those relationships and start to form some trust, you know, uh, between, uh, your
0: organization and theirs. Got it. That's really cool. And if you were to maybe pick one or two of those kind of activities, one or two of those spaces that maybe had the the best bang for buck, or maybe that's not even the right way to think about it, but maybe if you were going to focus your effort, if you were starting out again, going to focus your effort on one of those, one or two of those areas, what, what do you think they would be?
1: Um, I I think the architecture review. So we would have started that a lot, a lot sooner. Um. That was that was a, a really good way to get out there and and uh, meet people, and and help them out. The other one is just getting out and speaking, you know. And and we did that from the start, and we've had so many people approach us because of that. Hey, I saw you speak. So give you an a example. We um, we work with a, a group that's just north of uh, Denver here, and. Um, they had come down to a meetup and saw us, you know, uh, I think I had spoke that night it was on, you know, let's say unit testing, I believe. And, uh, we chatted a little bit and they invited us up probably about six months later to, you know, come and chat. And so we're talking about this project and, and, um, we're talking about NGRX and, and the the manager's like, well, I'm, I'm not really sure what we're doing and, but let's go ask this guy. So come over and shake hands and chatting. I was like, what do you think of NGRX? And he's like, oh my God, we love it. And he's just ranting and raving. And all of a sudden he stops and he looks at me, looks at my name badge, looks at me, looks at my name badge. He's like, hey, you're, you're with Freebug, right? It's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You could say that. And he's like, I've been watching your guys' videos. Awesome. And and so this this YouTube channel and all this great content that's available. And, he's like, and I'm like, oh, that's fantastic. That's, I, I'm really glad, you know. Uh, and he's like, no, no, no! You don't understand. I've been watching you on video.
0: <laughs> you specifically—that's <laughs> great.
1: And I look to the managers like, did you hear that? I I, I couldn't <laughs> have paid him to to, oh, yeah. <laughs> to to say something that good. Um, and so, by doing these little things and helping out other people, you know, it, it helps create relationships. And so that's that's the thing that that I always recommend to people. And it's a constant conversation that we have internally here as an office. As a company, how do we offer more? How do we help people more, give more away for free? Um, it creates brand awareness for us and they get to learn who our people are and, and the, that, you know, the expertise that we have. Um, and then, you know, from that, we, we just create relationships. People reach out and say, hey, would you help us out? You know, so we do a lot in the NGRX space. Um, I'm teaching a, a workshop at ng-conf this year on advanced NGRX. Um, so if you don't have a ticket yet, get on, no. <laughs> <laughs> on ng. uh, ng-conf.org uh, and, and get your ticket to, to come see it. I'm super excited. Yep. But um, yeah, it's these little things that we do, they, they all add up and it's all about brand awareness and, and there's no better way of getting to know people than by helping people.
0: Yeah, that's great. And it's really cool to hear, too, that that transcends the, um, you know, the I guess the consumer type client or or the 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 solo one off type client and goes into the enterprise. You know that's something that maybe people don't think about too often. Is you think about enterprise companies, larger companies, as these faceless corporations where any kind of personal touch marketing efforts or just personal touch uh, efforts to help might not really be received that well. Um, but what I've always found working at various places where I've I've done marketing stuff is that it really uh, it really does have an effect. You can build relationships. Relationships into the people that, uh, that work for these enterprises. And then you can, th- that starts to then trickle, um, its way across the company too. Uh, right. Like, you know, if a developer just happens to find your video on YouTube and yeah, they'll, you know, link it around within the company. And then before you know it, you've got a network of people within a large company who are familiar with your content. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's, it's, uh, it's, Definitely a very encouraging thing to to know that you know you're not going to miss opportunities at these uh, these larger um, larger organizations. Um, I know we have to wrap up, Jesse. One thing that I'd love to chat about, uh, or maybe just get your take on before we go, is uh, being the CEO of Brebug. Um, you, I, you know, in a lot of ways, I suppose you've had to uh, learn how to be a CEO, right? You you've had to come into this position that you're in now where. You know, who, I, I don't know, maybe you can tell me if it's something you expected to do when when you were younger. Um, I'd love to hear what it is um, that you had to learn to be uh, effective in your job now, or what it is you're still learning, what it is you've yet to learn even that you think might might be helpful. But uh, what are some of the lessons that that you've uh, taken upon yourself uh, as time has gone to be an effective CEO?
1: One, I'll start out with that. I, I never thought I'd be in this position. Um, hmm. It's... There was no like lifelong dream of, hey, I want to be the CEO of a of a company. Um, it just sort of happened like I think it does to a lot of people, where it just kind of we we fall into this position and mm-hmm. we start to build this company and and it first starts out where it's just, you know, myself and a couple of people and and we're all just working towards a common goal and then it grows into something much bigger. And then realizing that, hey, just just like my developers, I need to level up my skills. How am I approaching things? Um, and so I'm constantly looking at how do, I, how do I keep up? How do I reinvent myself? How do I, how do I take myself to that next level? Um, so I, I spend a lot of time taking classes. Um, again, like I said earlier, looking at like what am I thinking and why? Um, and, and what's running me, right? Um, I think the biggest challenge, you know, um, being a type A type of personality, which I think a lot of CEO types are. Um, is learning how to delegate, like that's the, to probably the number one biggest challenge, and realizing that there's just no way that I can do it all. Um, and and the, the the greatest reward then is once I learn that, especially on the development side, it's like holy moly! I've I've hired some of the most amazing developers that um, I, I'm like I don't know if I could hold a candle to them, you know, in comparison. Like they are just absolutely brilliant. They're super hardworking and they're they, they love what they do um and and so it's it's always amazing to see when we let go when i let go of control what's possible and and getting the individual touches from other people on from their perspective and what they bring to the party and so that that's uh always big um i think the other thing you know when i said i'm i'm, I'm always educating so i'm i'm constantly reading um and, and there's some books that I'll, I'll not only buy the book and, and read uh, as well as listening to the audio and I'll alternate back and forth. And I'm, I'm not just reading, I'm studying and, and I'm looking at how do I get to the next level? I think another thing um, with that is it's really tough, I think, for um, us to grow to our maximum level without having some sort of mentors, coaches, um, you know people that are influencing us and helping us to, to really see the, the blind spots. So we, we think that we're, we're absolutely just killing it we're doing a great job and a lot of times just somebody can point out a little blind spot and go well, but this little thing over here what about that you know um, and, and how are you how are you improving there So I'll, you know I really recommend people getting a coach, um, you know working with a mentor, um, I think a board, of, of directors or uh, just an advisory board, creating an, an advisory board to meet with once a month and talk about you know the approaches, what are we doing, and, and getting perspectives from other people. Um, you know there's a oh well what is the uh, the quote something about if you look at your five closest friends.
0: Oh, uh, uh, you're the average of the five people you yeah, spend the, the most time with? The, right.
1: Yeah, that you spend the most time with. And, and uh, who are you surrounding yourself with? Right. And if you're the top dog in that group, you're in the wrong group.
0: Right. That's right. You if know. you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Right. Right. Yep. So. That's cool. That's, uh, I think that's great advice. Thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, well, listen, I know you've, uh, you've got to run to another podcast. Um, Jesse, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Um, I very much enjoyed this conversation and I look forward to seeing you at the next event, which I think will be NG Conf probably, unless there's something before that. Um, yeah. so I will see you in May, I suppose.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, you know, unless I get up your way sometime soon, which, uh, if you, if you have a, a local Angular meetup up there, let me know. I'd love to come up and, uh, and speak and, and get a chance to hang out. Maybe a little closer to May, where
0: it's not quite so frigid cold. But, you know. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> we uh, would love to have you. Well, uh, thanks so much, Jesse. Thanks for doing this today, and we'll catch you later. All right. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning into the Entrepreneurial Coder podcast today. You'll be able to find show notes, including links to all the resources that Jesse mentioned at ecpodcast.io. If you've got any feedback about the show, if you'd like to suggest a future guest, or if you just want to say hi, I'd love to hear from you. You can say hi on Twitter at twitter.com coderpodcast Also, if you enjoyed this episode, and if you feel so inclined, it would be awesome if you could leave a review and subscribe, and if not, no hard feelings. Until next time, happy hacking. Thank <laughs> you.